So I don't know if everybody in here ever played a sport or had to uh, perform something maybe in the arts in front of a, a large group of people. Uh, but for me, uh, I played sports most of my life and it was pretty common practice that either in the locker room or on the, the side of the field prior to a game and usually then again at halftime, uh, there was like this psyching up period, right? Where you do all these really like tribal uh, like screams and yells and like if you're dudes, maybe if you're girls, I don't know, but like we'd like some chest bumps and we'd headbutt each other and smack each other around a little bit. And the whole purpose of all of these crazy caveman-like antics was to get you, get you psyched up, right? Like ready to go play the game. Well, today I have the privilege and the task of teaching us, all of us, about joy about joy, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to just come out here and like, just teach you about joy. Like, here's what the Bible says about joy, right? I, I didn't want to do that. So I've spent this week and even this morning, man, I've been psyching myself up for this message because I didn't want to come out here and teach intellectually about joy. I wanted to remind myself of the joy that I have, why I have it, and then come in here this morning and to preach to the rest of you out of the, out of the overflow of the joy that's in my life. So I've been psyching myself up. Got up early this morning. I always get up early on Sunday mornings, 5.30, 6 a.m., depending I don't usually, I don't usually hear my alarm. It's always set for six. I don't usually hear it. Today I was up around six and I reminded myself that yet again for another day, I have woken up next to a beautiful woman. The same woman, but like my wife, I'm married to her. Like not a different, like it's the same one every day. It's just like every day I wake up in my bed next to a gorgeous woman. God has given me the, the privilege as a dad to, to have a front row seat at watching two remarkable young women grow up right in front of my eyes. It's a, it's a joy for me to watch my children and, and to see what they're doing. Even this week, my, my daughter Emma told me about a, about a friend of hers that was having a hard time and she, she reached out and encouraged her, not just with kind words, but, but with scripture. And like my, my dad pride just swelled up, right? This Friday night, at our Christmas Eve Eve service, I have a, I have a short section Friday evening that's, that's mine to deliver a, a short sermon or a message. I'm going to preach to you guys Friday night a sermon that my youngest daughter, Leah, and I wrote together for something that she had to do at school for a Christian club that she's in. So like I have this, I have this wonderful joy in my life of two, two remarkable kids that I get the, the privilege to call mine. Every single week I go to work with, with three other men that, that challenge me and inspire me and encourage me. And they, they make me a better guy. I'm a, I'm a better person and a better pastor because of Pastor Quentin, Pastor Jonah, and Chris who's over our student and kids ministry. I have, I have great friends in my life that, that feel more like family than they do like friends at this point. I have a great family in my life. That's like a lot of them are here today. We're doing Christmas today with, with my dad's side of the family. So they're all coming to the house. So a lot of them are here with us today. And like I have this, I have a wonderful family. I have all these remarkable things that God is doing in and through my life. This past Thursday, I met with a group of pastors that, that all pastor churches in the city of Kannapolis. And I was reminded 
that, that there are, there's not, this is not the only gospel effort going on in the city of Kannapolis right now, but, but pastors and churches all across our city are working in, in unison now, more, maybe more than ever, towards this, this, this desire to see gospel impact and saturation in the city of Kannapolis. We've, we've partnered together to do mentoring. There's, there are, there's a male mentor program in every elementary school in Kannapolis City. It was a joint effort of all the churches in our area to make sure that that's going on. So, so I'm, I'm actually participating in that. So once a week I go and I mentor five or six young men, teaching them how to become better men. And, and gen, we call it the Junior Gents Club. I'm trying to teach them how to be gentlemen. We're teaching them table manners and how to tie a tie and how, how to be a man. So th that's going on in every elementary school and not just from our church, but from all of the churches. I got to hear about this new initiative that's going on in the city of Kannapolis now called The Bridge. And it's building relationships through intentional dialogue, grace, and empathy. They work really hard on the acronym, but it's great. And what they're doing, it's, it's a conglomeration of city leaders, police force, and pastors and churches coming together to facilitate a conversation so that if something tragic were to happen in our city, that not only would our city leadership respond, not only would our police force respond, but the churches in our city would be involved in the process of helping our city overcome tragedy. And they've invited me to be part of that conversation going forward. So I'm excited that I, in our city right now, there is a gospel presence and it's all of the churches working together to see that accomplished. There is good. There is a lot for me that I have to be excited about. Now, I know that, that for, for some of you in the room, you don't wake up every day feeling joyful. I get it. Here's what I've learned. That sometimes you have to do what I just, you got to psych yourself. You got to talk yourself in to joy. Because it's, and we're going to learn this throughout the context of our conversation for the rest of the moment. It's not something that's circumstantial. It's, it should be always there. We just have to find a way to access it. That's what I do when I psych myself up and remind myself of joy. Uh, I thought it'd be best if we'd define it, right? Like I think we have something, I thought a jumping off point for, for, for what joy is. I didn't come up with this. I heard another pastor actually just last week say this. I knew I was preparing for this message. I was like, ooh, that's good. I'm gonna steal it. So this is actually from Clayton King, Pastor Clayton King, but he defined joy this way. I thought it was great. So we're all gonna write it down together and this is it. Here's our definition for joy. Joy is a settled assurance in the love and faithfulness of God. It is a settled, it's determined. There's a, there's a confidence about joy. It's a rock solid confidence that God loves you and that he is faithful. And then for the remainder of our time today, we're gonna, we're gonna look at this premise, this principle through the life and experiences of Mary, the mother of Jesus. When the gospel writer Luke set out to record for us what we now have as the, the gospel of Luke, he did it as, as a defense for, he was making a defense. We, in, the, in the church world, we call that an apologetic. He was making an apologetic or a defense that, that Jesus was 
who he said that he was. And so the, the gospel of, of Luke is actually written to a man that we don't know a whole lot about named Theophilus. Luke writes to Theophilus to make a defense for, make an apologetic for the authenticity of, of Jesus' claims that he was and is the Messiah. Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. Every time, if you ever ask like a group of like young people, like, hey, name, name, three uh, or four of the disciples. They'll say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They just give you the, like, give you the books of the Bible. Like, like Luke was not a disciple, nor was Mark. Like you got two out of four. You fail. That's 50%. You fail. Like, so, we're, so just for all of the adults in the room that failed when you got asked that question, Luke was not a disciple, but he was. He was in close proximity to eyewitnesses of Jesus. So he, he interviewed those who were in relationship with Jesus to record for Theophilus, and then we get the benefit of it, this accurate account of the life of Christ. I believe, I believe that Luke interviewed Mary. I believe that he got a word for word retelling of exactly how she experienced it. And so I wanna read from, from the Gospel of Luke here in just a few minutes. But before I do, here, here's what I want us to see. There's, there's something that stands between you and joy if you don't have it currently. There's a, there's a threat to our joy and we're actually gonna see it show up in Mary's account, in Luke's account of Mary's story. We're gonna, we're gonna see this show up, but I, I wanna draw our attention to it first and then we're gonna find the remedy for it later. So here's, you can write this down. The primary threat to joy is the disappointment of unmet expectations. The thing that threatens, the, the, the thing that threatens to steal your joy more than anything else is the disappointment you feel of unmet expectations. I love Christmas time. This is a, this is a great time of year that's supposed to be full of, of joyous things, right? But, there's a, but sometimes there's a lot of expectations that come with, with the events that surround Christmas, don't they? Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you and your family, like you're, all, you're spread out, like maybe all across the country, maybe even across the world. And, and maybe there's been a time either, either this year or in years past that around the holidays, everybody was gonna come together and you were so excited. You had this great sense of expectation and anticipation for how wonderful it was gonna be when all your family got back together. And you got, so you guys are all there at, at dinner. Maybe it was Thanksgiving, maybe it was Christmas and you're all gathered there. And then, then somebody mentions politics. And then you got to firsthand experience the disappointment of unmet expectations and somebody that wanted to talk about the presidential election from 2022 stole your joy. Maybe, maybe at Christmas you bought what you just knew. You just knew it was the perfect, perfect, perfect gift. Lots of thought and time and you were so excited to watch them open that gift on Christmas only thing for them to return it on December 27th when all the stores reopened, right? Like, thanks for this thing that you thought was great, but no, like not, right? It, we've all experienced probably on some level the disappointment of unmet expectations. And that is the primary threat that'll steal our joy. So let's see together how Mary 
maintain her joy. Let's read some of the Christmas story for, for Mary. Unmet expecta- expectations feels like a colossal understatement. Like unmet expectations doesn't even feel like we're doing Mary's story justice. Let's read this together. I'll show you what I mean. Luke chapter one, verses 26 and 27. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, Mary's engaged. Married people. Do you remember your wedding? Better yet, do you remember your engagement? Do you remember the time and the planning and the money and the expectation? Like, this is a business, it's a lot. For us, we started a year, a whole year before we were gonna get married. We started with the planning, lining up all the stuff that we had to have lined up in order for us to spend 30 minutes together on a stage. Took us a year to plan a 30-minute service and a two-hour reception. Took us a year to plan two and a half hours of our life and our day, right? When you're engaged, there's some expectations. And for Mary, we we learned later, Joseph was an awesome dude. Like she's, she's gotta be over the moon excited about the man that maybe had been selected for her. We don't, we don't know exactly how their relationship began. They might've been a, you know, like, a, like a betrothal thing or whatever from, her, from his family to hers, we don't really know. But what we do know later, he's a good dude. So it, whenever Mary met him, like she had to think like, this is pretty good for me. I'm about to marry this awesome, awesome dude. And Gabriel shows up with some pretty disturbing news. And all of Mary's expectations are about to go out of the window. Let's read it together. Verses 28 through 35. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, listen. I love how he prefaced it. I've never read it in this translation before. I love the preface. Listen, listen. all right, hang on, listen. You'll conceive a son, you'll conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I think Mary has some doubts, don't you? Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. have a baby. Like, even then, like, I don't know if y'all knew this, but even then they knew how babies were made. Mary's like, I, there's no way I'm having a baby because I haven't done the thing that you have to do to have a baby. And then Gabriel's like, no, 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 it's gonna be, it's gonna be supernatural. Like the Holy Spirit's gonna, like this, this is a God thing. Imagine this, this engaged woman is about to become pregnant, not by her fiance. Reputation in this culture was everything. And Mary's is about to be ruined. 
And not only that, but most likely in her mind, their engagement with Joseph is over. Once he finds out that I'm pregnant and he knows that he and I haven't known each other. Like all of her expectations unmet. Do you think she was disappointed? You think she had some doubts? Absolutely she did. But we're going to see Mary today as an example of joy because this thing right here that you're getting ready to write down is true. Doubt, it's natural. Doubt's natural. We all experience doubt. We all have the disappointment of unmet expectations that threatens to steal our joy. Doubt is, it's natural. It just happens. But joy, joy is, is super natural. It's super, if you just break that word down, super means above. Joy is above what's natural. It, it transcends, it supersedes natural. Doubt is natural. Joy, though, is supernatural. And Mary, Mary was favored by God. She, she had the supernatural part of her life that allowed her to maintain joy, even in the presence of doubt. Doubt does not disqualify you from joy. You tracking? When you have doubts, that doesn't mean that you don't, that you can't access joy. Doubt does not disqualify you from joy. Your joy transcends your doubt. Look at Mary's response, verse 38. Luke 1, 38. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen as you have said. Then the angel left her. Do you see Mary's response? Hey, if this is what God wants, this is what, God's get, this is what God gets. Mary's confidence was not in her circumstances. Mary's confidence was not in her situation or who she was gonna marry or how she was gonna live her life. Her confidence was not in anything that was temporal or any circumstance or situation in which she found herself. Her confidence, her assurance, her settled assurance rested solely on the presence of God in her life. So here's what I want you to know about joy. You can't make it. You can't, you can't create joy. Joy can't be generated. It has to be located. You can write that down. I tried to make that rhyme a little bit. Y'all know how I like my rhyme and stuff, right? I should have been a black pastor. Like, I, I love some rhyme. Like Al Sharpton, that's, like, that's my jam. Like, I, love, I love things that rhyme. It gets me jacked up. Joy can't be generated. It has to be located. I'll do you one better. This is a little cheesier. Please don't write this down. Darren. Stop it before you start it. Um, you can't use your mind to make it, but you can find it and take it. Don't please, that's, it it can't be, you can't, you can't generate joy. You can't create or institute joy. You have to, you have to find it. Mary found it. She had it. She used it. Luke recorded it. And now it serves as an example to the rest of us how to live it. Mary put her yes on the table. 
I don't like this. I don't understand this. I don't know why this has to happen this way. But God, if you said it, I'll do it. If this is what you want, you'll get it. If God wills it, that seals it, right? I'll, I'll keep going. I love rap. I'll do this all day. God, God, if this is what you say, that's, the, that's it. She put her yes on the table. Whatever it is, God, you got it. You got it. Here's what I want you to see. When you put your yes on the table, oh, that's when God goes to work. You put your yes on the table and that is when God puts his plan to work. Mary's life is a beautiful picture, a beautiful response to disappointment, to unmet expectations that are met with an insurmountable joy. Because her confidence was not in her circumstances, but she had a settled assurance in the love and the faithfulness of God. Her life was joy personified. She's a, she's a perfect demonstration of it. Now we don't worship her, Catholics. Now we, don't, we don't worship Mary, but we look to her as an example to be followed. We recognize her as something to which we should aspire in terms of our own joy. Now, much like last week, we, we looked at it, it kind of two, two ends of the spectrum of Jesus' earthly life. We looked at the beginning and we're talking about that again today with Mary, but we also looked at a conversation that he had with his disciples just before he'd be led away, arrested, put to death on a cross, all that, all, arrest, you know, died, resurrected, come back. Before all of that, he has a conversation with his disciples about some things that they're going to need once he's gone. And then, and then last week we looked at, at the, the need that Jesus addressed that once I'm gone, you're gonna need to be, you're gonna need some comfort. So I'm gonna send you the comforter. But that wasn't the end of the conversation. That wasn't all of the content of the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. It's, it's three chapters in the book of John, right? 14, 15, and 16 are all, it's the whole conversation of Jesus in, in a conversation with his disciples at the last supper prior to his departure. And not only did he tell them that they were going to need to be comforted and they were going to need to have some comfort, but he told them there was something else that they were going to need as a part of their life. Y'all got any guesses what that might be? Not only were they going to need comfort, but they were also going to need joy. That's right. That's a whole sermon today, y'all. Pop quiz, y'all feel. They were going to need Joy. And then this is what Jesus told him. John 15, verses nine and 10. Jesus said, as, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, let me do some defining for us. And I'm going to show you how this translates into joy. That word abide, the, the, the like dictionary definition of abide is this. Abide means to remain or to stay or watch this, 
reside. This is, I love this. Remain, stay, or reside. Here's what it means in context of what Jesus just told his disciples and the context that I want us to walk out of here with today as well. To abide means to take up residence in the love of God. Take up residence inside of God's love. Like, okay, Pastor Brian, that sounds really poetic and beautiful, but how? How how do you even, how do you take up residence in God's love? Well, Jesus told us, he told us. Verse 10, let's look at it again, real quick. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Take up residence in my love, reside in my love. If, how? If you keep my commandments, then what? You will abide in my love. That's cause and effect. That's cause, follow my commandments, effect, abide in my love. That's how that works. This is like Mary saying, God, if you're asking this, that's what I'm doing. If you keep my commandments, God, if this is what you want, that's what I'll do. Isn't that what Mary did? Put her yes on the table. God, if you command it, I'll do it. God, if you want it, it's yours. Whatever it is, yes. Now, I wanna make a really important distinction. Lest I get lumped in with all those heretical prosperity preachers. God does not love his children any more or any less based on their obedience. You tracking? Parents in the room, you know how this is. Your kids jack stuff up all the time. You don't love them any less. A little disappointed. little like, man, I wish they wouldn't have done that. But you, you don't love them any less. Same thing is true with God. He does not love you any more or any less when you are or are not obedient. He loves you perfectly already. He can't love you more because he already loves you completely. And he can't love you any less because he already loves you completely. It's not dependent on your behavior or your performance or your obedience. But, but your obedience results in abiding. Why would we obey to begin with? Because of all that God has done for us. Like in response to all of the the magnificent ways that he loves us, we respond by desiring to do the things that he asks us to do. And when that becomes, when obedience and the following of his commandments becomes a regular part of your everyday life, the result is you abide, abiding. Here's what that means. When we, when we are constantly, when we're doing everything that we do with God in mind, then that means that God is always on our mind. If everything that I do is in response to who God is and what he's asked, when I am trying every day with every fiber and in every decision to follow God's commandments, the result is I abide. I, I reside in the presence and in the love of God. That's what Jesus said would happen. You'll abide in my love when you keep my commandments. Here's what that means. It means that when we do that, that God's love, it just, it just feels familiar. It isn't, it isn't, it is, I don't get a flash of God's love. I don't get a, a momentary influx of God's love. No, I live in, I reside in God's love. God's love just feels like home. 
It's just like, it's just like waking up and breathing when I abide in his love. I have a residence there. When everything you do is with God in mind, then God and his love are always on your mind. Then watch, watch what Jesus says next. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. If you've tuned out, if you like that weird dude's yelling again, like if, if that happened, just like, come, come back just for a minute. Watch this. Verse 11. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The fullness of joy is only available in abiding. Abiding is only accomplished as the result of continued obedience so that God's love is familiar, feels like home. And this is what Jesus said. This is how you make your joy full. Other, other translations of this verse say, make my joy, make your joy complete. If Jesus says this is how you have a fullness of joy or a completion of joy, then that means that there is a version of joy that is not full or is incomplete. That's what that means. This is how you make your joy full. That means you can have flashes of it. You can have moments of it. You can have experiences of it. Every single person on the face of the planet experiences general blessing and favor from God because every good thing, whether you're one of his children or not, comes from our heavenly father above. But once you become one of his, once you belong to him, once you put yourself in submission to God and become obedient to the things of God and you do that on a regular basis so that God is always on your mind and you're always being reminded of his love and his care and his compassion and you begin to abide in his love so that it feels familiar, then then and only then, oh man, then you get the fullness of joy that allows, let's say hypothetically, I don't know, if you were like a virgin teenage girl who heard from an angel that you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit and the power of God, for you to be able to respond like, that's crazy and I don't get it, but if that's the way it's got to be, my yes is on the table. So here's what I want us to do. If you are in the room with us right now, if you're watching at home with us online, you're doing so because there's at least some part of you that believes that if there is a fullness of joy, you're only gonna find it in a relationship with God. At the very least, you're seeking, you're asking, you're investigating. And if that's true of you here in the room or those of you online, man, I'm glad that you're listening. Some of you, some of you in the room, man, you've, you have taken up residence in God's love and there is a settled assurance that it will continue because you know that God loves you and that he's faithful. 
And for the rest of you, 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 you get flashes, you get moments, you get, you get influx and then, and then fade. And what I wanna help you do in just the next few minutes is to, to make some decisions in this moment that can lead to you as well, taking up residence in God's love through abiding. So I'm gonna ask you just right where you sit, if you just close your eyes. And in a moment, I'm, uh, I'm gonna pray for us. But before I do, if I could just maybe help me identify who I'm, who I'm praying with and for, if, if you would say this morning, I, I want to, in the next few moments, tell God that I'm putting my yes on the table. I want my life to be marked and characterized by a consistent obedience that leads to abiding. Would you just, just lift your hand, just put it up. I, my yes is on the table. God, whatever you want, you'll get. Whatever you say, I'll do. If you, if you will it, that seals it, God, I'm yours. All right, you can put your hands down. And let me pray for us and for you. God, God, help us. Help us, God, to honor that, that commitment, to have that mind of ourselves, that God, whatever you want, God, you can have it. God, I want to do nothing with my life but that which you would have me to do. God, help me to follow the directives and the commandments and the truths of your word so much that it becomes this regular part of my life that God, I, I just wanna take up residence in the power, in the passion, the beauty of the love that you offer. God, help me to abide, to just live in it and soak it up and then walk it out every day of my life. God, I thank you for, for Mary, for her story so meticulously recorded for us by Luke. That God, we can look at her and have a picture of what it looks like in the, in the face of insurmountable, unmet expectation and disappointment to respond from a place of joy that's not dependent on circumstance or situation, but, but respond in a way that says, I have my doubts, but my faith and my joy is greater than my doubt. It's natural for me to doubt, but God, it is you. It is you and you alone that holds my trust. So I'll choose to respond in obedience that I might better know what it feels like to live in the presence and in the power of your love. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time, for the truth of your word, for the example of Mary, for the teachings of your son, Jesus. God, we pray these things in his name. Amen and amen.